Hey everybody, this is Bill Town. This is Danielle Town. And we're here for the Invested Podcast where we're talking about investing in companies, whether public or private or going out there and starting your own thing. We're looking at the same basic <laughs> principles. We're talking stuff. about value investing and the rule number one style of value investing, which is what dad is teaching me. Yep, that's exactly right. And so we're way down the road in this podcast. Hopefully you've been listening to other podcasts before we got up to this place right here because we're going down in the weeds these next few weeks. Um, we started this a little bit, bit ago with uh, kind of re, re, revisiting the, the, the 4M analysis which is based on Charlie Munger's uh, description of the proper way to invest is to understand what you're in or be capable of understanding what you're investing in. Make sure it has a big moat, intrinsic characteristics that protect it. It's got management with integrity and talent and it's on sale. So those four things we call the four M's, meaning, moat, management, margin of safety. And we've been banging away at them for weeks now. Yes, do you know what part we're on in our multi-part series I'm calling Back to Basics? Yeah, I do. You do? What yeah. part are we on? Which, well, okay, we're on management. Oh, I'm, <laughs> yes, that is accurate. <laughs> Correct. Okay. But I meant what number. Oh, this <laughs> has got to be number nine, I think. Oh my gosh, you're right. We're on number nine. Good oh, job. Awesome, awesome. Okay, number cool. Number nine, and we're on management. So I think you and I guessed this would be about eight or nine parts uh, to this series, and we've only made it halfway through. It's true. Well, there's three things that you have to look at in order to determine that a company is wonderful, and a, a wonderful business is what we're targeting, because our teachers have taught us, and then I'm teaching you guys, that the key to being certain you're going to make money in an investment is that you buy a wonderful business when it's on sale. And the yeah. key to rule number one type investing, because Buffett said there's two rules of investing, rule number one, don't lose money, rule number two, don't forget rule number one. The key to that is that simple thing, Danielle, of just being comfortable that you're looking out into the future 10 years or so, and that this thing you're buying is gonna be worth more then than it is today, than you're paying yeah. for it today. Yeah, and a, a huge part of that is the management running the company. I mean, oh. they can take a perfectly good company and run it into the ground pretty quickly. They can, and it's the scariest thing about this whole process, and the one that I, I think agree. is it's the least under control for a business that's owned by a large, large number of people, which is what public businesses are. And yeah, I got to tell point. you, I was shocked in my experience with Horsehead Holdings when it when it was drug into bankruptcy, when absolutely it didn't have to be taken into bankruptcy. It was done um, by managers that were simply in, not capable of handling the situation they were in, in a way that had integrity. And as a result, they chose a path, in my view, in my opinion, um, and in the opinion of the court, quite frankly, um, that basically sold off for the price of you know a donut, the two hundred to four hundred million dollars of owner equity, they just basically stole it, and it's what? just so flipping difficult to know whether or not this management team that you're investing in is capable of that kind of white water white water white water white collar crime. In my view, it's a crime. So these are just my opinions here. So you can you can deal with it as you will, but. I've been through this and it's incredibly 
incredibly disgusting what you see as the behavior of that kind of a system. I mean, I think you made a really good point. Having a company with thousands and thousands of unnamed owners, which is what happens when you're a public company, makes it so that there's hardly anyone really running the ship. If you have a few really big shareholders, which hopefully most companies do, they're the ones who have much more control than small shareholders. Well, it's, um, there's hardly anyone running the ship that has a vested stake in the ownership of the business. That's the problem. And that it means that you can often invest in companies where the management, the CEO and the top managers of the company don't own much of the company at all, and where the board members own almost nothing. And, and if you get into one of those situations, you are really vulnerable to the, the behavior of a management team and a board that is in no way in the interest of the owners of the business. That can actually right. happen. It happens actually all the time. Yeah, they can be different. The owners of the business can be different than the people running the company. And that happens commonly in right. publicly traded companies. And unfortunately, the courts and the SEC seem to think that this idea that you have a board of directors that's elected by the shareholders um, is somehow does provide a fiduciary group that will act in a fiduciary capacity, acting in the best interests of the shareholders that they represent. And nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, it's obvious through many, 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 many companies, uh, board members acting to the benefit of the management team that appointed them and that pays them their $250,000 a year and gives them the use of the corporate jet. That yeah, I mean, that can happen. There are also many, many extremely uh, board members filled with integrity, extremely careful. I, I don't want to paint all people on all public boards with a broad brush of negativity. I'm pretty happy to do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know this is the lawyer and you trying to keep me out of jail, but the it's not just the lawyer. It's having seen good companies that I think are being run well out there that I think have really good people uh, leading it down their path. I think I think there can be really good boards out there for public companies. It doesn't have to all be negative. But as we know from our, you know, investing practice here, they're few and far between. Just as finding a wonderful company you want to buy is few yeah. and far between. So I think that it's it's a it's a we're going to dive into this management stuff here. And it is it is deep water. It really is. This is the hardest thing to figure out. And there, well, it's, now, almost, some... it's almost like the easiest and the hardest, right? Because it's they're humans like we can't predict what they're going to do. And so there's the answer. They're humans. We can't predict what they're going to do. That's that's the easy answer. Right. And then the hard answer is, well, but we still need to take a pretty good guess. Yeah, and we we really do need to take a pretty good guess because we can be fully capable of understanding this business and it can have a fabulous intrinsic characteristic that protects it. And this management team can still steal the entire company from us. And I know that from horrible personal experience with uh, with Horsehead Holdings that it was absolutely stolen. And so we, we, we got to come down so we can get the first two things right and still really have big trouble with our investment. So yeah, I think it's interesting, gonna... though, that uh, Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett tend to go with the easy answer, though, like the, the answer that they're humans and basically like you got to expect them to screw up at some point. I mean, Charlie, even in his four principles, says 
we would, so he says, we need to be capable of understanding. We have to have a company with an intrinsic competitive advantage that's durable. We would like to have management with integrity. Well, that's and it's a, good a very yeah. strong contrast. Now that's a, that's a really good insight. And, and Buffett comes in with his own view that says that you want to buy a company that has such a strong intrinsic characteristic that protects it from competition that an idiot can run the company because someday, oh, yeah. because someday an idiot will. Yeah, I've heard you say that. And before. so I, I agree with you. They, these guys really do look to the other two critical things, actually the other three, which is that you understand the business, that it has a moat and that you bought it with a big margin of safety. Um, those three things can protect you against an idiot management team. They can't protect you against a management team that is not just idiotic, right? But, in, but good-hearted. <laughs> they can't protect you against managers that have no integrity. Yeah. Those guys can nail you. Um, the only yeah. thing that can protect you against those people are uh, focusing on companies that don't have any debt. If there is debt in the company then managers can take that company into bankruptcy even when the debt equity ratio is two to one or three to one. In other words, that that the Horsehead Holdings had a relationship between debt and equity that, sorry about the noise in the back background there. Um, we got somebody blowing leaves or something around the house. Can, should I continue? Yeah, keep okay. going. So the, um, the management team at Horsehead uh, showed $1 billion of assets against $440 million of debt. So it was okay. a two-to-one relationship. Um, another company just went into bankruptcy that we saw in the newspaper recently as an energy company that went into bankruptcy with a three times more equity than they had debt. And they still, the management team still took them into bankruptcy just wow. to restructure the company to compete well against other companies that have just gone into bankruptcy. So wow. I'll tell you what, you, if you've got debt in there, uh, debt can kill you if you've got people who do not have integrity who are running the business um, because the law won't back you up. The law does not, con in, in other words, the difference between a company, a public company that's owned by one person, let's say, which would be unusual, right? But let's say you had one, public company that's owned by one single person and a com public company that's owned by a million people, the difference in law should be zero. Everything should be the same. It's just the owner happens to be in stock. But in practical application, the board of directors is, is going to be beholden not just to the CEO, but to that single owner, because that single owner has so much power. And that single owner can get rid of the board, can adjust the board, can change everything. That's not the case with a million shareholders who are all spread all over the place, and none of them can really control anything. In that environment, the board and the management team operate as if they are the owners and they do yeah, the things and the court let them do the things that benefit them as the quasi owner, as opposed to the actual owner who gets completely screwed by this process. A, a case in point is that Donald Trump, if I, I don't have these as facts, but this is what I think I read, that Trump no. has gone into bankruptcy. <laughs> I mean, I, it's all secondhand. Trump has gone into bankruptcy in Atlantic City four or five times, right? As the owner of a, a ballpark and and has emerged every time retaining some ownership of this company. Yeah. Whereas if you go in as a as a, a public group of shareholders, you are 
assumed to have been wiped out simply by the act of going into bankruptcy. They just operate as if you're gone. You're no longer relevant at all. So um, this is really how important. That, how do you take that lesson and turn it into, okay, what do you look at now? Do you look at debt a lot more closely? Oh, yeah. Well, debt is critical that you, you have low debt. And I've always operated on the basis of about three years of, of debt. Um, three years of debt could be paid off by earnings. Um, An even better way to do it is to look at what free cash flow is and ask how long, how many years would it take to pay off the debt? Um, obviously, one year or less is much, much better than three years, right? Because that means you can track the free cash flow. And if all of a sudden the free cash flow is disappearing, looks like it's a long-term problem, um, you know, you don't have a huge amount of debt to overcome. Three years is still quite a lot of debt. So I would say that um, the the problems that you run into, let, let's kind of go into that. Let me, let me just kind of give you what I think are the real problems you can run into when... Yeah. With figuring Please. out if uh, if people who run the company are are lacking integrity, okay. So okay. the the first thing is you get a sense by reading the CEO letters, by looking at what they report to you, how they're answering questions uh, in the in the quarterly reports to uh, shareholders, whether they are not whether or not they are acting as your fiduciary, whether they really see themselves as completely responsible to you as the owner or whether they are just giving you their report because they're obligated to do that by law. So how, what, how do you get that sense? I mean, what do you look at? Well, the, the first thing is whether they're explaining things so you can understand them or not. Hmm. Like well, that's a, interesting. a lot of yeah. small shareholders assume because they can't understand what management is saying um, either in the annual report or in the 10K or, or, or 10Q or in the quarterly meetings, they don't get it. They assume it's them. They assume that, oh, I'm just not smart enough or, you know, these are yeah, big I don't, I don't know enough. It's too yeah. hard. So basically you're saying like if they explain it in layman's terms, in, in terms somebody who's not an expert in that company or in uh, in their industry would understand then they're trying to reach those shareholders, those thousands of shareholders out there. Yeah, I, th I think that if they're explaining things so you can understand them, um, that's a, an important first step. If they're not explaining them so that you can understand them, then one of two things, either they are intentionally misleading you and obfuscating with flashy language and uh, kind of arcane principles that they're discussing, they're, they're covering up problems in the company or they simply don't understand their own company well enough to explain it. It's like in Hollywood, you know, if you can't explain your screenplay in 30 seconds, then maybe you don't understand what you wrote. It's entirely <laughs> possible that you don't really understand what the story is. So um, this is a really good first step, but it's not by itself enough. In other words, management can be explaining to you everything in layman's terms and you get it. Um, and still they're covering stuff up. Yeah, they leave, you know, <laughs> all the debt problems just out entirely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or they tell you very clearly that this isn't a problem and here's why, but they're not telling you the whole truth. So Yeah, and, and just to be clear, these are the CEO letters to shareholders that you're talking about, not the descriptions in the annual report of issues that the company may run into, which are required by law. 
and have to be exhaustive? Well, I actually would extend it to the annual report. If you can't understand what this company does in the annual report, it's because they're basically not interested in explaining it to you carefully. In other words, I, I see all the time language in annual reports which completely is unintelligible to a normal, normal person. I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years and I see stuff I don't understand in companies that are like running just a casino. And they're just okay. So in, yes, in that up. situation, in the situation of a casino, yes, we should understand what they're doing. Well, yeah. If you I got... don't know though. I don't know if I have such a problem with a really complex company having an annual report that reflects their complexities. I don't know if I have a problem with that. I have to well, think about that one. If they can't explain their complexity in a way that that's that is clear that you understand this complex company, right? It has multiple parts going on. It's multiple things. If you can't understand it clearly, it's because they're covering something up or they don't understand it themselves, which makes it, the business too hard for you. Or or it's because you don't understand it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's principle hard. that's principle number 1. But I don't or, I don't know that I buy that. In other words, if the language that they're using is simply unintelligible to a normal person, they're using all kinds of phrases that are real industry specific and Wall Street jargon. They're doing that on purpose. You know, if they can't explain that thing simply, then either the business itself is too complex for them to do so and they don't understand it or they're covering something up. So, you know, I mean, it's not maybe a semiconductor company would 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 get me out of that. But yeah, I got it. Right. I mean, that's what I'm thinking of, like somebody who makes rockets. I'm probably not going to understand all of their potential difficulties that they might run into. I mean, okay, I wouldn't really enough. expect myself to. But but here's where the first the Charlie's four principles come into play because I wouldn't even get past principle one, which is you have to be capable of understanding it right. because the whole point of that one is so that then once you get to principle number three and you're trying to figure out if management has integrity or not, you should be able to understand the business and know whether or not they're trying to obfuscate. Right. So therefore, let's just put it like this for everybody who's listening. If you're reading about this business in the 10K, or you're reading the CEO's annual letter, or you're listening to the quarterly report, and you thought you were capable of understanding this business, which got you that far, right? Yeah. What you're seeing here is either they, and you don't understand it, you don't understand it from what they're saying and what they're writing, then it's either too hard, or they're covering up the business. Either way, either you way, don't you're take out. It. You're out. Yeah. Absolutely out. Okay. No doubt. From that no, point on, you're gambling if you're involved in this business. You're just purely gambling. Okay? So okay. Some, the, the other thing that, that jumps out at me that, that screams watch out for the integrity of this CEO is when they do the annual letter and all that annual letter to the shareholders is is a puff piece about how hard the people in the company are working and how valuable the employees are and what wonderful things they've accomplished. And you know, the only things that have ever gone wrong have nothing to do with us um, whatsoever. That letter, I can almost promise you, with, with okay, a few exceptions, that letter is a lie. <laughs> they're covering stuff up. There, there's things going on that they're not telling you. So if your CEO who works for you will is unwilling to tell you the things that are going on in that company that are not necessarily great, right? That have happened in the last year, 
then they're covering stuff up and I have to really question their integrity. Plain and yeah, that's, that's funny. Yeah, there's no way. I mean, you're right, very few limited exceptions. But other than that, there's no way you go through a whole year and everything's just so wonderful. Yeah. I'm just going to tell you about how everything's fantastic. So let me, let me, let me have you take some notes here, Danielle. I want to give you six signs that the CEO is good about integrity, inte has integrity, or does not have integrity. Wait, what have we been doing so far? With I'm going to the lay them out there for you. I'm going to lay them out here for you. What okay? was, is this part of the six, what you just said? Um, um, no, uh, these are actually, yeah, the letter part is. The letter is a pitch is one of the six. Okay, give me the right. six. Okay, here they are. These are the, this is the bad CEO, like bad Santa, okay? The bad <laughs> CEO. Bad CEO. Tell me how to find him. Their paychecks go up with the size of the assets of the business. In other words, the bigger the balance sheet, the more they want to pay themselves. Paychecks go up with the size of the business. Yeah. In other words, if this guy goes out and acquires a bunch of companies and return on equity is going down and return on assets is going down and return on invested capital is going down and debt is increasing, they're still paying themselves more. They're still hmm. paying themselves more. CEO pay should not be related to the balance sheet of the company. You're not worth more just because to. you just acquired another company. Okay. What should it be related to? It should be related to your performance on return on equity or return on invested capital. And ideally, my ideal CEO is somebody like John Mackey who owns a big chunk of the company. His paycheck is just like my paycheck. That company value goes up in the long run, okay? Okay, so look at look at return on equity and return on invested capital yep. for um, to be going up. Right. To so if a CEO paycheck should be going up. Right. And so a good CEO, like a good CEO's paycheck just basically stays the same. Um, I mean, an extreme example is Warren Buffett pays himself about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. All right. To run, you know, a Fortune 500 company. So because why? I mean, because he's got a huge block of right. stock of that company. John it's Mackey, a bit of a disingenuous conversation about well, these like, are the oh, extremes. Okay? The fact that he even gets a salary is like a drop in the bucket for him. True, but it, John Mackey pays himself thirty six thousand dollars, and because he owns a huge block of stock, Bill Gates, when he was working at at uh, Microsoft, his compensation was because his stock price went up, not because he was taking stock options for showing up for work, right? I mean, so, those are also all founder CEOs, which is a different animal than a Right, CEO. which is a clue, which is a yeah. clue. You're yeah. safer off with a founder CEO than a mercenary that's been hired. <laughs> okay. Or, you know, it, a serial CEO with integrity. That's what we're looking for. Yeah, but the integrity part's very hard to identify, as we see. Okay, so, so first off, the paycheck goes up with assets. So that's a, not a good sign. Second... They have very little net worth of their, their personal net worth is in company stock. Very little net worth. Okay, these guys might be making four or five million dollars a year, but they're not putting a million of that a year into the stock at purchasing it at the market price. They're just getting options. Um, they're getting everything handed to them. They don't have a stake in this business. Okay. Yeah, they're not going in there and buying with their own money the stock right. of their company. The guys at Horsehead, owned about a quarter of a percent of Horsehead in the terms of stock. 
And coming out of bankruptcy, they're in a deal I heard is going to give them 10% of the company. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's a big warning sign. All right. Huge. Third, acquisitions add size, but reduce return on equity and return on invested capital and or they add a lot of debt. So these okay, guys- Okay, uh, too fast, too fast. Okay. Acquisitions do something bad to return on equity. Is that what you said? Yeah, they re their return on equity is going down as a result of buying new companies buy and add emerging companies with this company. So return on equity is going down, return on invested capital is going down, debt's going up. And that is a big red flag that you have to question the integrity of the CEO. Are his goals the same as yours? He's telling you he's on your side, but what his actions are doing is saying he's trying to build an empire on your money. Hmm. Not adding value, just adding size. Why? Because CEOs get paid on assets often. So the more assets, the bigger his paycheck. This is a guy who's turning trader, and we wanna, we wanna get out of that company. Number four, number four. By the way, a good CEO right there, um, on the on the second one has lots of, of his net worth in the company. That's why I like founder CEOs. And number three, where acquisitions are hurting ROE, the good acquisitions in, are accretive. They they make the company ROE go up. So they they really are adding something to the business. They're getting it at a great price. Okay, number four. Okay, number four. The CEO is selling corporate stock. In other words, the company is selling its stock or using its stock to buy companies. And the CEO says that the stock is undervalued. Okay. In other words, let's say he does a secondary offering and sells the stock at 75 cents a share, but he's basically telling the world it's worth a dollar. That's criminal. That's criminal. You cannot, you cannot squander the asset. You can't squander what I own by selling it at three quarters of what it's worth. So you'll see these guys do this a lot on, uh, on uh, secondary offerings, is they're, they're gonna go in and raise capital in a secondary offering and they're telling the world that the stock's undervalued. Well, if it's undervalued, what in the world are they doing selling it? That's giving away your equity. They did that on Horsehead and it's a huge red flag. Stock was selling at about $15 a share and they came out with a secondary offering at $12.50. Okay. claiming it was worth 15. If that's true, they were getting rid of a big chunk of my net worth at a discount, which is should be criminal, right? They should be required to get the real value of the business when they're doing something like that. Yeah, that, I was that trying to figure out what you were talking about because it's not criminal to do that. So you're I using know, it in a Emotionally sense. criminal. And okay. <laughs> if there is such a I'm trying to follow you like emotionally criminal so means I want that bastard in jail is what I what I really feel about that. All right. So what this does is it raises a red flag. If they're willing to do that, it's raising a red flag that says, watch out. These guys may not have the integrity you thought they did. Okay. okay. Next. Number five. We talked about this one. The CEO's letter is a pitch. It's a hmm. pitch letter. It's just misleading you. Warren Buffett says, if a CEO is willing to mislead uh, you others in public, then he's very likely to be willing that very likely to accidentally mislead himself in private. In other words, the guy is a liar. He's going in there and writing letters that do not tell you what's going on in this company. A good CEO 
is going to write a letter every year that tells you enough about the company that allows you to put an appropriate value of the business on the business. You should... Or the CEO is ignoring, willfully ignoring the problems, which I think is what Buffett was trying to say there. Well, two things, actually. It, you know, skipping over the problems to make himself look better. But yeah. most importantly, a CEO has to tell you the facts about the business so that you can judge the value every year. Yeah. You have to be able to do that. Okay, and the last one is that the CEOs focus on EBITDA, E-B-I-T-D-A. Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and, and, and amortization, okay? So EBITDA, fo the focus on EBITDA as if it's cash flow. And even worse are CEOs who focus on adjusted EBITDA. And today in this market, you can hardly pick up a CEO report about his company that isn't all about adjusted EBITDA. And so what they're basically doing is they're saying that, you know, paying interest, paying taxes, the actual depreciation and amortization of the, the equipment in the business or the, the intellectual property in the business, it doesn't have any material impact on the value of the business. And nothing could be further from the truth. All of those things are critical impacts to the, to the uh, value of the business. And when they exclude them, they're giving you an artificially high valuation on purpose because these guys lack integrity. And they're just trying to bolster their own egos and their own options. So a good CEO is gonna focus on the free cash flow in the business. I have a question. Okay. What does, what does focus look like? What are you talking about? Like in their letters, in their speeches, in their Q and A's with shareholders? Is that where you see the focus or is there somewhere specific? Oh yeah, somewhere real specific. When they do their quarterly or annual earnings report, the company okay. comes out and lays out this whole argument of adjusted EBITDA. And they do a whole thing where they say, well, you mean every company does that? No, just oh. companies that are trying to cover up poor oh, That's how you see the focus is they do this sort of description of adjusted yeah. EBITDA. To cover up poor performance uh, uh, on, an, on a GAAP basis, GAAP basis. So when they come out and you see them start talking about EBITDA in their quarterly report and adjusted EBITDA, and their reasoning is that this is, gives you a more clear view of the cash flow of the business, that's a lie. Almost every one of these companies uh, needs to depreciate assets, needs to amortize assets, has to pay their taxes, has to pay their interest payments, all in cash. And when they start talking about EBITDA as if it's cash flow, they're trying to pull the wool over your eyes. That's a huge red flag. So we want CEOs who focus on free cash flow and are, are talking about gap accounting rules. Okay, okay. those are the okay. six things right there. So here's should we the just leave it stuff. there and keep talking next time? Yeah, I guess so. We, we should dive into these three numbers about what they should look like. We should talk more about yeah. what good CEOs do um, and how they communicate. And um, But those are the those six things right there, I think, are really critical for both the good CEO and the bad CEO. Did you just say there are three numbers to look at? Yep, three numbers. Okay, so we'll get into the three numbers and we'll look at what a good CEO looks like. Okay, cool. All right. Okay, well, cool. I guess it's time to go play. See ya. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash 
workshop. For details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting, all you gotta do is enter the special podcast code STOCKPILE, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, STOCKPILE, into the application form and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.